возлюбленной Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к преддверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за столь великую привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего. Пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым. Позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки. Веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Сердце чистое, сотворение Божие, Патрик. 
исследовать глубины нашего наследия во Христе Иисусе, неизменным эпиграфом к исследованию наших сокровищ. Евангелие Луки, 24 глава, 44 стих. «И сказал Иисус ученикам Своим, «Вот то, о чем Я вам говорил, еще бы с вами, что надлежит исполниться всему написанному о Мне в законе Моисеевом и в пророках и псалмах». Итак, чтобы нам, как причастникам тела Христова, разделить со Христом исполнение всего написанного о Нем в Писании, мы продолжим наше исследование в направлении нашей соработы со Святым Духом в том, что необходимо предпринять со своей стороны, чтобы получить право на власть, отложить прежний образ жизни, чтобы облечься в новый образ жизни. Ефесянам 4, 22, 24. «Отложить прежний образ жизни ветхого человека и сливающего в обольстительных похотях, 
а обновиться духом ума вашего и облечься в нового человека, созданного по Богу в праведности и святости истины. Для выполнения этой повелевающей заповеди, как мы уже знаем, задействованы три повелевающих и основополагающих глагола – это «отложить», «обновиться» и «облечься». И чтобы подтвердить имеющееся обетование, возведенное в статус заповеди, приведем еще одно место Писания, в котором тот же автор, но несколько в иной форме, обуславливает аналогичную истину, призывающую нас совлечь советского человека с делами его, чтобы облечься в нового, который наделен способностью обновляться в познании по образу создавшего его. Колоссянам 3.8.11. «А теперь вы отложите все – гнев, ярость, злобу, злоречие, сверословие уст ваших. Не говорите лжи друг другу, совлекшись ветхого человека с делами его и облегшись в нового» который обновляется в познании по образу создавшего его, где нет ни елена, ни иудея, ни обрезания, ни необрезания, варвара, скифа, раба, свободного, но все и во всем Христос. Мы отметили, что именно от решения этих трех судьбоносных вопросов как раз и будет зависеть, обратим ли мы себя в сосуды милосердия или в сосуды гнева. А вернее, состоится совершенно In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions, now stop to examine the question, the third question. What conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man who is created by God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth? And in regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. Because God's mercy is the unique power of God that yields the essence of God and the inheritance of man out of the seed of the word of truth. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is none other than prayer and worship, or worship in spirit and truth. We have noted that prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on His established conditions. And this kind of right that brings the justice of God into action can be attained by us only under the conditions established by God in which we, because of our dedication to God, are called to coincide with the inner state of God. One of David's prayers, written in the 143rd Psalm, where he gives God the right to interfere in his life, his mercy and truth, will be an example for us of our inheritance. It has become the subject of our study. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. And so, to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as proof that he could intervene into David's life with his mercy and his truth. From David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained ten different arguments that David brought to God, saying, Hear me because of your righteousness and truth. Hear me because I remember the days of the old and all of your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me because I trust in you. Hear me because I lift my soul up to you. Hear me for I run to you. Hear me, because you are my God. Hear me for your name. When it says, I lift my soul up to you, it says, when I accept, when I place it on the altar, because in order to lift up our soul, we can only lift it up as a sacrifice on an altar. Hear me, because you are my God, because for your name, and hear me for your mercy, and hear me, because I am your servant. In previous sermons, we have already examined the nature of the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf to help him withstand his enemies. We have stopped to study the second argument. This was evidence brought by David in prayer that showed that he remembered the days of the old and all the works of God in these days, written on the tablets of our heart. An image of this evidence is presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which was a standard for a constant memorial before God, containing the standard of a constant prayer. And as we know, this breastplate of judgment was made for and served only one object, Urim and Thummim the presence of which allowed God to hear man, and it allowed man to hear God. And so, to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, it was necessary to maintain a remembrance of the works of God in the subject of his Thumim, which God had made in the days of the old. 
The breastplate of judgment as a standard of a continual memorial is a sacred image of the format of a continual prayer that gives God the foundation to fulfill His will on planet Earth. A prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breastplate of judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer because only the format of a continual prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to draw near to God and enter the sanctuary as kings and priests unto God to represent intercessory. This is how the nature of the breastplate of judgment is represented by Apostle Paul very shortly. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2 We have noted that continuity in prayer is defined by a burning lamp that defines the state of the righteous heart of man. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Proverbs 13.9 The order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains conditions that true worshippers of God, whom God searches for himself, are supposed to have. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 23-24 Violating the order of the breastplate of judgment, which yields the stated nature of a worshiper of God, results in the breastplate of judgment losing its nature and its purpose. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth is to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by God in Scripture, that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or even their jealousy. For we, were, for we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.17 In the Septuagint, this is what our translation is called, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of judgment, because through Urim and Thummim that were contained in the breastplate of judgment, God could tell man his judgment. The image of the breastplate of judgment finds its expression in the conscience of man that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. To seal these teachings could be possible only in the golden studies. Therefore, a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with a seal and tablets of truth and rightness will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. In a certain format, we have already looked at the measurements and material out of which the breastplate of judgment was to be made. We have stopped to look at the next condition which states, And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This will be the first row. The second will be carbuncle, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. Like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. Exodus 28:17-21. We have noted that the twelve golden settings yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which, as the worshippers of God, are called to represent in our continual prayer. 
которые мы, как поклонники Бога, призваны представлять the twelve precious stones with the engravings of the markings of the twelve names of the sons of Israel is an image of our prayer that represent the perfect judgments of God. From this we can conclude that the golden settings in the subject of the truth of the Word of God are engraved to fit the stones, but rather the stones in the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. A continual prayer is first and foremost an unceasing prayer that finds its expression in trust in God, in which a person, representing the interests of God in his intercessory, does not step away from the goal until he receives what he has asked for. The makeup of the breastplate of judgment expresses itself in the ability and means that define the core of a continual prayer that is necessary to obtain the goal that is set by God. Growing the tree of life in our heart is building ourselves into the new man, created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth, into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place. We have noted that all of the grandeur and order of the temple was made for only one holy object, and it served only one holy object. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same way the ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment was created and served only one holy object, which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the golden ark. This is Urim and Thummim. Because the old golden ark of the covenant and the breastplate of judgment figuratively represented the conscience of a person that has been cleansed from dead works. Urim and Thummim in Hebrew is light and perfection, light and right, or revelation and truth. For example, the Decalogue placed inside of the ark of the covenant was truth, and this truth was presented on the breastplate of judgment as Thummim. The revelation that a person could receive under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was presented in the breastplate of judgment as Urim. So under the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, we do not see some kind of stone or some kind of material. This was a voice. This was God. This was the Holy Spirit. I do not understand why people think that this was some kind of stone or some kind of piece of material. This is not a stone nor a piece of material. Urim and Thummim are the mystery which God has hidden from people. He has hid it, hidden it in a way that not one Jew knows about this. He has hidden it in a way that priests kept this mystery and they did not spread it to anyone. And when the service in the temple had stopped, they kept this mystery and no one knows of it. That's why those people who today begin to speak that these are certain objects, material objects, that could be touched, must be very careful to these kind of interpretations. Because the revelation that a person could receive under the look of the Ark of the Covenant was presented in the breastplate of judgment as Urim in the face of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, a worshiper of God can only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works or who has a wise heart, on the tablets of which is sealed truth in the subject of Thummim. 
Because of this, the revelation of God in the subject of Urim could exist only in the boundaries of truth that are represented by Thummim and the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Otherwise, why will the Holy Spirit be sent if your heart does not have anything? How will the Holy Spirit unveil something in your heart if you don't have anything? What kind of revelations can the Holy Spirit bring to a foolish heart who does not have the Word of God? Scripture says if a person does not have the Word of God, he is foolish. In the wisdom of man, it is called foolishness. They have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. You see, God places his wisdom only in a wise heart where Urim abides. That's why, basically, this is referring to a property of wisdom that is contained in Thummim and Urim and the fact that the carriers of Thummim and Urim are worshippers of God and have the immune system of the Holy Spirit. And of Levi, he said, when we're talking about the names of the sons of Israel, we are talking about the great fates that are prepared for the bride of Christ. This is a part of our fate, in each name, a part of the fate. And in the twelve names, the fullness of the fate or the hope that is God has prepared for us, Levi, attached to God, this is his fate. This is the fate in this name, Levi. And of Levi, he said, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One. So only those who are attached to God can be carriers of Urim and Thummim. Continuing, whom you tested at Massah, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them. Nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children. These people and their relationships with their relatives never are never based on their household, their traditions, their nation, but only on the word of God. For they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and those who hate him, that they rise not again. Deuteronomy 33, 8-11 This is the curse and the, gr the great blessing on these people. They are their characters, their carriers. That's why to touch them, to criticize them, means to place ourselves in a curse. In a certain format, we have already examined the first five properties of a worshiper of God, through whom God continu could continue to express and fulfill His will on planet Earth. And we have stopped to examine the sixth component of a worshiper expressed on the breastplate of judgment in the precious diamond stone. We know that the sixth name on the second row from the bottom that was engraved on the precious stone of the breastplate of judgment on the tablets of our heart was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, meaning wrestler. Genesis 37 through 8. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Therefore, the name of God in the precious diamond stone, according to Jewish rabbis in Hebrew, means El Hai, which translated to Russian means living God. 
Therefore, according to the meaning of the name Naphtali and the precious diamond stone, we note that the function of the sixth principle laid as a foundation of our constant prayer with which we need to serve as a continual memorial before God, this is our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God, the name of the living God. But the Lord is a true God. He is a living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jeremiah 10.10 We have noted that the name of the living God was the format of an oath. In that category of the holy nation that did not learn how to swear by the living God and swore to Him falsely, they were headed to total annihilation. This is written in Jeremiah 12, 16 through 17. And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck and destroy that nation, says the Lord. And so in order to not be eradicated and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to be taught the ways of the nation of God to swear by the name of God El Hai or living God. And these paths, as we have noted, are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. The condition that gives the right to be taught the path statutes so that we can swear by the name of the living God is, this, is the desire of their knowledge. This is what David writes in one of his prayers. Psalms 119.32-35 I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. When my heart begins to bring fruit. Because only when bringing fruit, we can flow according to the rivers of his teachings. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalms 1, 18, 32-35. Just reading in a, about the statutes does not mean that we understand them. David was not a foolish person. He said, Lord, send your Urim, send your Holy Spirit, unveil to me these statutes and this law. Allow me to understand it so that I could walk along this path. It's interesting that in Hebrew, the name of God, El Hai, means dwelling, great, unlimited in power, determining our being, creator of our being, containing our being, preserving our being, overlooking over our being, and the Lord of our being. Deuteronomy 10, 20-21 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, and to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. So only after we have the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the meme. This is the 12 teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. This is the beginning of wisdom. When we have this, then it is written clearly that fear the Lord your God, and only then we can serve Him. And only then, having this wisdom, we can cling to Him. And only after that, we have the right to swear by the name of the living God. Not just this order, fear the Lord, you serve Him and hold fast to Him and take oaths in His name. He is your praise, and He is your God, who has done for you these great awesome things which your eyes have seen. He is your praise. 
praise. This is our gratefulness to God. This is your gratefulness. God is your gratefulness. You will thank God, bring Him praise. Therefore, the result of taking an oath in the name of the living God always meant the fulfillment of the promise for which we made an oath unto God. When we're talking about fulfilling, we're talking about fulfilling in the eye of in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man. Because as soon as God says, I give you something, He has already fulfilled. Although we might not have something in life, but if He says, I give to you, then God has already fulfilled. He has placed on Christ all the promises of God, and He has said, I have placed on your account in Christ Jesus all of my promises. And that's why you today can begin to thank God for any kind of promise that you, of course, understand. We thank God for as, as valuable as a certain promise is to us. Therefore, the power of a warrior of prayer that is contained in the virtue of the name of the living God are called to represent the limitless authority of God over our being into the time and limits allotted to us. We have arrived at the need to define what purpose is God pursuing when He calls His children to become warriors of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer so that a person could represent the interests of God in the realization of His inheritance in God? It's interesting that the interest of God is, is for us to realize our inheritance, for us to be clothed in all the promises of God. All the promises are in the new man. The soul cannot be a carrier of the promises of God. The spirit is the carrier of the promises. That's why we are called to be clothed in our reborn spirit. And for this, it is necessary for our spirit to be transformed, for it to become firm and strong, so that it could become a fruit, and so that we could be clothed in the fruit of the Spirit. First, according to Scripture, being a warrior of prayer is a legitimate and privileged inheritance of saints of all time. Second, this is their original purpose that is expressed in their calling to trample the wickedness of the wicked in prayer battle. They will not portray tolerance toward the wicked. Third, this is one of the greatest provisions that is given by God to man, in which a person becomes a king and priest unto God and is seen by God as a diamond with the engraving of the name Naphtali. By not being a king and priest unto God in the virtue of which a person could rule his emotional organ with his informational organ, it is impossible to be a warrior of prayer. We know that the informational organ that is intended to rule over the emotional sphere of our soul is the renewed thinking of man with the mind of Christ. The prayer of a warrior of prayer is a kind of sacred and valued mystery that has an unearthly origin. Therefore, the genesis of prayer, just as the genesis of God, has no beginning and no end. Prayer is a tongue of God, identifying the essence of God and yielding the word of God that defines the genesis of God. Therefore, prayer was always the mystery of God as well as dwelled in the presence of God as his golden scepter of grace, which he stretched out only on the one who sought his face and to do his will. Whoever dared to come to him on their own conditions without being called into his presence led his golden scepter of goodwill to not stretch upon that person. And so the prayer of this kind of person was not heard by God. 
to King Artaxerxes. If someone came without his, if he wasn't called, then the king did not stretch out his golden scepter, and if he had not, did not stretch it out, this person was covered right away. So his head was covered so that he could not see the face of the king and he was beheaded. To come to the king was... Artaxerxes is a title, king of kings. I don't know any other king out of the Gentile gods who would have this lot, that no one can see his face, only the one over whom he stretches out his golden scepter. And golden scepter he could stretch out to the one whom he calls. You can come and you can live in the inner courts. Sometimes people, weeks, months were located there. And, they, and the king was told that there are people here. And he said, let them enter. Only then a person can enter. Who is waiting in the inner court? Amen is waiting in the inner court. Let him come in. And we know that only one had come who was not called. This was Esther. But when she had come in, for some reason he stretched out his golden scepter. The reason why? Because she was beautiful to him. She was his wife and she, she represented his interests. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And so the right to draw near and stand before God in prayer is God's prerogative. No one himself will be able to draw near or come to God who abides in an inaccessible light. Millions of people pray to God. And this doesn't mean that God hears all of them or that they have come into God's presence, or that they are kings and priests. We know that Hagar was also praying in the wilderness and God heard her, but it is written that he heard her because of her son Ishmael, because Abraham had prayed regarding Ishmael. That's why he heard her, otherwise he would not have heard her. This is what Jeremiah says in chapter 30, verses 21 through 22. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me? Says the Lord, ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And when I have a commander, and he comes to me out of my people, then you will be my people, and I will be your God. To come near to God, the living God, can only be the one who will come from the seed of Abraham. When talking about the seed, the seed is Christ. This is the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man who had received the right, he was called into the presence of his father so that he could be an intercessor, our intercessor, in which everyone who is born of God and searching for God can come and draw near to God in him and through him. According to this prophetic revelation, we note that drawing near and coming to God when we in Christ Jesus, when we come to God in order to represent his, the interests of his will, contained in the realization of his inheritance and in this case a prayer that yields the virtue of an, a diamond it first must be unceasing second perseverant third diligent with boldness reverential 
with showing faith to God, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, or by prayer in tongues. In a certain format, we have already looked at the properties of the first six components of the nature of prayer as well as the state of a warrior of prayer, which yields the atmosphere of his heart. What does thanksgiving mean? Thanksgiving in prayer is an expression or unraveling of a thankful heart before God. To better understand the meaning of the element of thanksgiving and prayer, we have decided to study four classic questions to define the nature of prayer as well as the conditions we must fulfill so that we could be clothed into this nature and release its presence in prayer. First, we must we had to do, define it and note the purpose of thanksgiving and prayer. We will study the price for being clothed in thanksgiving. We will study how to keep and cultivate thanksgiving and the fruit and nature of thanksgiving. In a certain form, we have already studied the first question and have stopped to study the second question. What conditions must we fulfill so that our thanksgiving could answer to the requirements of the will of God? In the first right to be clothed in the fruit of thanksgiving, as we have already studied, is comprised of a special kind of prayer in which vigilance is present, as it is written in Colossians 4.2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So continual prayer is supposed to have an element of vigilance and prayer and thanksgiving. The second condition for the right to be clothed in the fruit of thanksgiving is to not be anxious for anything while letting our requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6 or 7 Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. According to these words, the conditions that give us the opportunity and right to be clothed in the fruit of thanksgiving is comprised of the cooperation of man with a God in the spheres of our cares. Our role is to not be anxious for anything, because the fulfillment of our request is the prerogative of God, and all of the answers to our desires that are the will of God are already answered in Christ Jesus, and they are placed on our account. And though God's role is to fulfill what is asked for, but only in the time that is established by Him and not by us, under the condition that we fulfill our part of the covenant. And so first we will focus our attention to the first part which tells us that before we thank God through praise for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus, it is necessary for us to not be anxious for anything. It is important to note that in these words, the condition or the requirement to not be anxious for everything, for anything is built into the virtue of a commandment, non-compliance of which deprives us of the right to praise God in the format of our thanksgiving. A person who is anxious, he does not have the right to bring thanksgiving. In practice, having received justification and salvation, but not fulfilling the conditions for the right to draw near to God in our thanksgiving, which is comprised of not being anxious for anything, we lose our salvation, which we received in the format of a pledge. People will lose their salvation. Anxious people, they will not receive salvation. This is what it says here. That's why we must always distinguish the cares that are the prerogative of God for which He carries responsibility and carries in cares that are our prerogative for which we carry a responsibility. We should not think 
that we should not care about anything. I remember there was one young man who had just come. He stopped going to work and he was asked, why didn't you not work? How are you going to live? Well, it's written, do not care for anything. Do not be anxious. God will care for you. In fact, this kind of person did not understand that there are cares that God places on himself and there are cares for which you answer to. And now I will show you. The cares that are God's prerogative is God's vigilance over his word that is given in the revelations of Urim in telling us who God is for us and what he has done for us. We should not care for how God will fulfill his promises. God is vigilant over this. This is his prerogative. When it says, do not care for, do not be anxious, means do not be anxious for that which God has promised you. This is his care. And the cares that are God's, that are our prerogative, is fulfilling the conditions that give us the right for what God has done for us. In Hebrew, the word cares in the role of God as well as the role of man is an expression of the law in which all sides are called to carry a certain responsibility and a certain burden. And so when it says, be anxious for nothing, it means for us to not place a burden over us, which is a prerogative of God. Because of this action, although it might be subconscious, it is sacrilegious. The expanded meaning of the word anxious in Hebrew means when it says do not be anxious, when we are anxious for that which is the prerogative of God. Anxious means worry, be preoccupied, not trust in God, to fulfill the role of God, to express cruelty and stiffness, to be disobedient to the word of God. This is what Hosea had done when he stretched out his hand. To be rebellious or to express disobedience, to express disobedience to the commandment of God, to show disbelief, to oppose God, and to raise the wrath of God. To prove the thought that to be anxious for cares for which God carries responsibility is unfaithfulness and disobedience, we will turn to another place of scripture, another author, through whom he and the Holy Spirit bring this requirement into a virtue of a commandment. And non-compliance toward this commandment allows devil to swallow us. And fulfilling this commandment allows God to perfect us, ratify us, strengthen us, and make us immovable. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. This is not, this is apostle of book of Peter. There we had focused on Apostle Paul. Now let's look at Apostle Peter. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. So what does he want to do? What does this lion want to do who tries to devour you? He tries for us to begin to be anxious for what God has placed on himself, what God has a responsibility over. This is what he tries to do. Because people oftentimes don't understand. Oh, devil walks like a roaring lion. He wants to eat us because as soon as you place on yourself what is the prerogative of God, he devours you. Resist him steadfast in faith. Do not worry about whether or not God will fulfill his promise or not. 
knowing that those same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is very important. I want to once more highlight the fact that there are certain things that belong to God. That's why God cares for His Word. Our prerogative is to be obedient, to have trust, and to proclaim the inexistent as existent. As soon as God, however God fulfills it, at what time, how, this is His prerogative. The third condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of the fruit of thanksgiving is in the price for the right to be clothed in the virtue of a servant of the Lord. Revelation 19.5 Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you, his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. In these words, the voice coming from the throne calls praise unto God from all those who are clothed in the virtue of a servant to the Lord. In the status of a servant of the Lord is checked by the presence of the fear of the Lord in his heart. The status of a servant of the Lord, as we know, is the highest virtue in the kingdom of heaven over which all the other virtues stand. We know that to praise God is to thank God for his great works that he had done in Christ Jesus in the work of our redemption and deliverance from sin and death and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Psalms 113.1 Praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. In these words, the name of the Lord that the servants of the Lord are called to praise is the kind of name of God under which are built all his other names and titles. And this name is the name Yahweh, which yields the word of God that comes from the mouth of God, the servant of which is God. As soon as the word of God coming from the mouth of God comes from the mouth of God, God becomes dependent. He knows that if he speaks, he will become a servant of his word. And for him, he receives this as a great virtue because God has never called us to be servants of his word if he himself was not a servant of his word. And now imagine, if God is a servant of his word and he is dependent, what will stand in the way of him fulfilling this word if he is almighty and omnipotent? But he has promised to fulfill not our words, but his words. And when we proclaim his words, his will, and when we have a right to this at an established time, then these words become equal to the words of God. The name Yahweh in the virtue of the word of God that comes from the mouth of God defines the nature of the name of the living God, which yields the Genesis, creates Genesis, and rules over Genesis. We know that the virtue of God that yields his word in the name Yahweh is lifted higher than all of the names of God and it contains the characteristics of all the other names and titles of God. We have noted on numerous occasions that the word of God that comes from the mouth of God was lifted up by God higher than all of his other names. From this we know that God makes himself dependent on his word and becomes a servant of his word. Because of this, the word of God, according to its status and authority, is equal to the status and authority of God.
Therefore, if a person does not place the gospel word of the messengers of God who are the mouth of God in first place, he cannot have the riches of a servant of the Lord. Therefore, he does not have a legal right to thank God in the format of praise, because thanksgiving is first and foremost the state of the heart in which the word of God accepted in the heart of a person is the finished authority. And the act of thanksgiving that comes from a grateful heart is expressed in obedience to the gospel word of the messengers of God. Therefore, if the thanksgiving of man is not poured out into an act of thanksgiving, then his thanksgiving in the format of praise are illegitimate. Because of this, he brings upon himself the anger of God. Fourth, the condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of fruit of thanksgiving is comprised of accepting seven broken loaves out of the hands of Christ for those who follow him into the wilderness because they thirst for his word. Mark 8, 1-6 In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, Christ had asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. So pay attention here. The disciples had seven loaves. He did not eat a lot. He only needs seven. This was an image. This is not just the word of God um, explaining some kind of event. God will never just explain a miracle or event just because. He places a certain principle in there. Here, God has placed a certain principle. First, people who people went after him into the wilderness. This was not all the people of the world, but only those who left their houses their homes, their riches, and they went. They went not take anything along with them. These people went to the wilderness, but in order to come there where he was, it took three days, three days' journey. Can you imagine three days and they were hungry and they did not grab anything with them? What did they have trust in? Well, they went to Christ. He was the bread of life. God had, the Holy Spirit had made it so that no one of these people brought anything with them, and the disciples brought with them only seven breads. That's why the wilderness is an image of consecration and dedication unto God, which is comprised of coming to God and fulfilling the thirst of our spirit with the word of God. Seven broken loaves is an image of the humility of Christ that grows from the root of the meekness of Christ. Because we know that when we break, this always signifies humility. That's why seven broken loaves is an image of the fullness and perfection of body of Christ in the face of his bride. He asks, how many loaves do you have? We know that seven is the number of the bride, means fullness. And they were, the disciples had them. They had represented the disciples of Christ. And he would feed these people only through the church. I want us to understand the essence of this event that is presented 
in this manner so that we can see this principle. The seven broken loaves is an image of the gospel word that is intended to quench the thirst of the saints that have prepared themselves to hear the gospel word of God. They came there not to, to, they came here only to hear the word of God. But the disciples could satisfy him with this word. God through the church will do all of this. A church that has fullness. That's why, in this image, preparing our heart to hearing the gospel word is a kind of consecration in which we are carried away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where we die for our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. And if this has not occurred, we only think that we are eating. When in fact, the word of God that we hear and we accept it, it begins to destroy us that we now know what others don't know. Why? Because we have not died for our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. We are not in the wilderness. And they went into the wilderness. This is what Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 16-23. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory or his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ. This exceeding greatness of his power is the presence of these seven loaves in us. Because not all churches and not all people have the fullness of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And he says, the how the exceeding greatness is power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Look at where these loaves are located. They are in the disciples, but the head of these disciples and the bread himself is higher than all the power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In order to receive the right to thank God, we must not only be on the territory of the church and not just for, be formally a part of this kind of church, but in the spirit to be a partaker to that number of chosen who have walked into the wilderness, who have dedicated themselves unto God, who have prepared their hearts to hearing the word of God, and they know that they can receive and where they can receive. There they did not know they had hope in Christ. But Christ had said, you give them to eat because I have given my powers along to you, to the disciples. Not just everyone, but only those who have the bread. They said, we have seven loaves. And he said, give them to me. They broke it and they ate it. The fifth condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of fruit of thanksgiving is comprised of the obedience of our heart to the teaching of Jesus Christ for which he made ourselves for which we made ourselves servants to. Romans 6.17 But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. 
we must always study and orient our faith with the format of the teaching of Jesus Christ that was accepted by us. We must test how much it coincides with the teaching, the image of the teaching that is presented in Scripture and whether or not our heart portrays this teaching. As it is written, 2 Corinthians 13, 5-9, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, not your neighbors. Sometimes people come to me and say, how do you think I or you have a revelation? Am I spiritual or am I not spiritual? I do not have the right to test you. Are you spiritual or not spiritual? I can see based on your actions, are you spiritual or not spiritual? How you will behave yourselves. When, when we stir up the water and if there is some kind of sediment there the sediment will be will be stirred and it shows that person is carnal I'm not supposed to do this you are supposed to examine yourselves in this situation for example if your wife has said something and you had you then burst you're supposed to say Lord, I thank you. This means, this shows me that I must work on myself. If perhaps your wife has burst out, everything depends on our reaction. We anger, we come in anger. From what? Why do we not react differently? Why do we not logically look at a situation? And so furthermore, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not know. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, that we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Even if we are nothing against the truth, but this does not mean that you are not supposed to be so. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you be made complete. Based on these words, we know that to be perfect in Christ Jesus is a result of being voluntary and conscious servants to the image of the teaching of Jesus Christ that coincided with the spirit of Scripture. We are able to hold our wrath, anger, to not pour it out and to destroy it in its root. It can exist, but it is not imputed to us when we come not imputed to us when we come to anger. There's a difference between anger and unsettlement. Unsettlement are the works of the flesh. But it is written when you are angry, do not sin. Because the anger of a person does not fulfill the truth of God. That's why when anger comes, you say to yourselves, be quiet, be calm. God has allowed this situation in your life. I speak to myself all the time. As soon as something begins to be stirring, anger begins to be stirring against someone for some kind of words, some kind of actions, it doesn't matter who. I say to myself, quiet, quiet. 
God has allowed the situation in your life. You are supposed to endure this. They begin to think and pray, Lord, how do I correctly react? Not in the question of anger, but how do I act according to your word in this situation? I begin to orient myself according to the word of God. How am I supposed to behave in this situation? Thus I will behave. And to my anger I said, be quiet. And he submits to me. When you will have a renewed mind, then your renewed mind will rule over your emotional sphere because anger is in your emotional sphere. And if you have a renewed mind, and if it is king, then it will tell your emotions to be quiet. Emotions are a horse, and they are necessary for us. We must direct its energy with our mind. And when our mind is not renewed, then it is a servant, a slave of our emotions. And then, not our head guides, but our feelings. And we begin to justify our emotions with something or somehow, and we focus not on the Word of God, but on our emotions. Furthermore, the sixth condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of fruit of thanksgiving is in accepting victory through our Lord Jesus Christ over sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-57 The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in these words, victory over sin is to be freed from the slavery to the law of works which gives power to sin, which is the sting of death. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 2, 19-21 Citing and studying the formula of the law of grace over the law of works without the understanding and the ability to distinguish the law of works from the law of grace, this is a drug that calms man and immerses man into the illusion that he is free from sin. When we take the statutes, an ang um, a sinner takes the statutes, he proclaims correctly, and after proclaiming in correct statutes, he becomes calmed, and this is a drug. He is a sinner, for when we cite, and we do not coincide with this state, we do not have the right to take these words. In order to take these words and to proclaim them, we must know what we are proclaiming and who we are. We must know fully well that any promise that is contained in the law of grace will work on us on the level which we accept this promise in our heart through the gospel word of the messengers of God. We are taught it. Second, any part of the law of grace without binding to the whole fullness of the law of grace is not lawful or legitimate to free us from the law of sin. When people take one place of scripture, for example, praying in tongues, why do we take these ten elements of prayer and not one element? If I poke focus just on one of these components, it will not work without the other characteristics. All these ten elements are supposed to be in one another, and they're supposed to be in a great balance.
Third, only being in the faith teaching of Christ, we can be clothed in the virtue of the disciples of Christ and obtain knowledge of the truth that makes us free from sin. Because freedom from sin is in the fullness of truth. John 8, 31-36 Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We know fully well that we are not referring to some kind of just one part of truth. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave he is not the seed of Abraham, but he is the seed of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. According to the faith teaching of Christ, a person can be free from the authority of sin or can rule over sin in the limits of his essence if through the truth of the cross of Christ he dies to the law of works through the body of Christ. This is what Apostle Paul writes about this. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Until our the sinful nature lives, our groom, then we are bound to the law. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. So if I begin to proclaim the correct promises of God, but I have not yet died for my nation, my household, and for my corrupt desires. My groom is my sinful nature. Then my prayer is illegitimate, although I might be praying correctly. I am a sinner who takes the words of God and the statutes of God, but I hate them because my sinful nature does not think to submit to the words of God. It wants to use only that which God has. God is not needed by her. They, she needs anointing, Holy Spirit, material prosperity, and so forth. That's why she's called an adulteress. And God does not listen to adulterers. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. He said to those who were the dead, that means he had preached to them what death with Christ means that we should bear fruit to God. For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members, members to bring fruit to death. When we live by our flesh, then our sinful lusts begin to act in us to bring fruit of death. However, we might try to quench the fire of lust, the stronger it burns because we need truth 
to, to quench it. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died so that we were held by, to what we were held by, so that we should not serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Romans 7, 1 through 6. The seventh condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of the fruit of thanksgiving is to allow God to triumph in Christ and to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. Now thanks be to God, we are talking about what price we must pay in order to have the status or the right to thank God. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. So God, his fragrance diffuses it upon us. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? God says, who is able to be the fragrance of Christ? This is one who does not peddle the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. To diffuse the knowledge of God in the fragrance of Christ in every place means to be the salt of the earth and a light in the limits of our responsibility. Today I spoke to one pastor from another country. He called me and he asked me these questions. And I stopped him and I said, this is not your territory. I said, look, depart from evil and confront evil. We can depart from evil when this is not our territory and we do not carry responsibility over this. What do I do? One sister from this one church, she has this kind of problem and she has asked what she should do. And I said, well, why are you answering this? She has her church. Let her turn to her pastor. Let her let her, her pastor tell her what to do. This is not your territory. You do not answer for her. If you begin to with confront this sister, this is not your responsibility. You're supposed to depart from her. All that we do not answer for, do not we should not do. I told him, you know, oftentimes I'm in the presence of certain people who are near to me, and there is a situation where there is one, some kind of person for whom I do not care responsibility over. And when he begins to say something and say something foolishly, I am quiet. But my, my, those who are around me, my near and dear ones, they begin to go against this person and they are waiting for me to chime in. And they ask me, how come you don't say anything? And I said, what you want for me to protect you where you should not have gone? You and my presence are never supposed to speak until I say something. Why did you why did you chime in? God, this is out of my territory. Whatever wisdom I might have, whatever power I might have, God blesses us only when we are on our territory, when this is our responsibility. That's why I repeat to diffuse the knowledge of God that is a fragrance of Christ in every place means to be the salt of the earth and the light in the limits of our responsibility. We are not called to answer for the whole world. The strength brought by us in the fruit of thanksgiving to God is the ability to triumph in Christ Jesus through a kind of fragrance that for some will serve as an aroma of death unto death and for others a fragrance of life unto life.
Because some will accept this as death, they will not be able to hear this. Others will grasp onto this. This will be a sweet aroma to them. Furthermore, evidence that we are truly the fragrance of Christ and are diffusing the knowledge of God is comprised of the fact that we do not distort the word of God as many do, but we speak from God, before God, and in Christ. Eighth, the eighth condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of the fruit of thanksgiving is to accept the seed of the gospel word in our heart for sowing so that we can multiply the fruits of our righteousness and quench our thirst. 2 Corinthians 9, 10-15 Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our thanksgiving will not be perfect if we are not taught to not only be thirsty and fulfill our thirst with the bread of life, but also sowers using the gospel word to sow and grow fruit of righteousness. We should know that the functions of one who sows and the functions of one who thirsts for the bread of life cannot express themselves separate from one another and in different people. Therefore, the functions of one who sows righteousness and the functions of one who accepts the bread of life as food yields a person who brings fruit of the mouth that praises his name. The difference between, in our essence between the functions of one who sows and the functions of the ability to eat the bread of life in our essence is comprised of the fact that the functions of one who sows in our essence yields a proclamation of the faith of God that were accepted by us as an order of the commander and fulfiller of the faith of Christ. When we proclaim, we proclaim the seed of the word of God. That will be... What we say, we will then bear fruit. And when we proclaim with our mouth the faith of God, that will be accepted by, God, by us from the command fulfiller of our faith in Christ, in which we fulfill the order of the command fulfiller of our faith, we begin to name the inexistent as existent. And the functions in which the bread of life in our essence serves as food yields our ability to carry out the expected and be confident in the unseen. I will mention a well-known image which demonstrates the functions of the bread of life in our essence, which serves as our food and the functions that open the novelty and sowing of righteousness. But when she saw him, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name. Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born, which will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, 
has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Take a look how the functions of a sower was demonstrated here. Everything that the angel had said to her, there was the bread and seed. And when she had said, "Let it be according, let it be to me according to your word," she accepted these words as the seed. So the one who can proclaim the inexistent as existent. Because when we proclaim that, it will bring fruit. And if we just eat and we do not proclaim anything, you see how the bread that we accept can turn into a seed. We accept it as bread, but when we proclaim it, there are certain things that cannot be the bread. For example, those things that are not fulfilled right away, those things that are immediately fulfilled, this is bread. When God immediately gives you to your answer, you receive an answer. Oh, I've received an answer, or I have received an answer today out of the sermon. This is bread. But when you receive a promise that is supposed to be fulfilled in the future for you, when you are sick, and when your illness will be healed, when you accept healing, and when you say, I name called the inexistent existent, when you accept in your heart the word of God, I heal you, and you begin to proclaim and you begin to thank God for healing. People say, you are sick. But you have received it in your spirit. I'm not talking about it being written that God has placed healing in our account. But he, in our heart, you have heard in your voice, this voice, and this seed that is given to one who sows, he sows his healing. God has given him the seed so that he could sow and he could grow his healing. And there might be years that pass. One who tills the ground, he waits for a long time for the fruit. Mary had to carry the son for nine months. When we accept something, we become impregnated by the word. We have so sown it. When we have proclaimed it, we have sown it. And we have been impregnated by this seed. Or it has placed its roots in us, and we begin to nurture it and grow it. But this will not be eternal. There will become a time when birth will come and we cannot hold it anymore. And then you will cry out, this will occur. The ninth condition for the right to be clothed in the virtue of the fruit of thanksgiving is to renounce filthiness, foolish talking, and coarse jesting. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jetting, which are fitting, which are not fitting, but rather give of giving of thanks. As you can see, the fruit of the mouth, praising God, yielded in the format of thanksgiving that comes from the faith of our heart, is incompatible with the forms of indecency from the inheritance that we inherited from the vain life of our perishable fathers. However, the seduction is comprised of the fact that it is possible to proclaim that we are free from the vain life of our forefathers, but at the same time have filthy language, foolish talking, and coarse jesting. We know that filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, is an image of the sinful nature and its deeds. And to be free from dependence on these things, we must set aside our sinful life with its deeds, for, over which stands our nation, our household, and 
the vain life of our forefathers and our corrupt desires to test ourselves to see if we are free from the sinful nature with its works and to receive the right to thanksgiving we must provide a definition for these different things that cannot be compatible with thanksgiving it is written that filthiness foolish talking and coarse jetting is not fitting filthiness is going against the laws of truth and righteousness this is expression of a vulgar spirit in these expressions such as filthy words filthy actions and filthy garments based on coarse jesting and foolish talking means that we are in our sins because we have not yet paid the price for the right to praise God in the virtue of the fruit of thanksgiving which is expressed in separating from our nation, our household and our corrupt desires. Foolish talking is dirty words they are swear words many saints not a little bit but many older people and young people when they are angry or just because they swear they swear they do not have the right to thank God to enter into his presence because they have this filthiness. If they do not die for their sinful nature, if they die for their sinful nature, these words will not fly out. Coarse jesting are words that are not the faith of our heart. When they are placed on a scale, they will be empty. In Hebrew, empty words are is foolish vulgarity. So when we proclaim correct things that are not in our heart, when sinners take the words of God, and they do not have them, they're not proclaiming correctly. Because oftentimes people do not know what foolish talking is. Foolish talking is when I proclaim that which is not in my heart. It is written, and I say, it is written, and I begin to proclaim what is written. I say, where is it written? There or there in your heart? Foolish or coarse jesting is to destroy or bring down the honor of a person, another person, or to spread gossip about another person. Matthew 12, 36, 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, now we understand what filthiness, foolish talking, and coarse jesting is. Proverbs 6, 1-5 says, My son, if you become sure, surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have stared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. What is this referring to? This is talking about when we begin to 
Scripture doesn't say literally, go break your relationship, but it says, stop worrying for others because they will behave themselves incorrectly and you are worried about them. But it's not talking about simple worrying, but when you keep to pay, take on the responsibility over yourselves, and when you take on the responsibility, then what happens with them, this will be upon you. Never uphold a person in his incorrect actions. When you uphold a person in his incorrect actions, in his incorrect word, in his incorrect actions, his incorrect garments, then you have been caught. And you must be free from this. In order to be free from this, you are not supposed to if your neighbor begins to walk away, when a rabbi, he says to, he says, if your husband begins to walk away from the Torah, you're supposed to go against him, you're not supposed to uphold him. Yes, you make a covenant with your, with your spouse, but only when you, as your helper, uphold him. But when he steps away from the Torah and begins to live according to how he wants to live, you are supposed to stand against him. This is how rabbis interpret it when it is written, and she will be a helper. We will create a helper. A helper is a person who stands for you, with you, and stands against you. God is the same kind of helper as wives are. And people do not understand. They think that a helper is the one who stands on a pedestal lower. No. We need a helper. Look at what God can do through women. And I pay attention what God do through wives. Wives can take away a, a husband from church or bring one to church. Because she has something that God has. God as a helper, when we behave according to his word, he stands with us and for us. When we go begin to go against the word, he goes against us. That's also what a wife is supposed to do. She's a helper. And when God says he, he is a helper, he is not on a pedestal lower. Why do husbands think that if a woman is a, help, is a helper, she is uh, on a step lower? Her role of a helper says that she does not carry responsibility for what you carry. The head is a person who carries a responsibility for his children, for his wife. And when they sin, he goes to God and he asks God to forgive them. He is supposed to go to God and ask for their forgiveness. This is what Job had done. Each time when the children had come to celebrate festivities, after this, he brought a sacrifice perhaps one of them had done something incorrectly or had went against God he brought a sacrifice and he prayed for his children the same way husbands are supposed to carry responsibility Christ carries this kind of responsibility he is the intercessor Holy Spirit is the intercessor when we sin the Holy Spirit he does not judge us he begins to intercess for us he begins to push us so that we could repent and he prays for us he will come and judge the world but coming to church it is written he will teach us he will instruct when we sin the Holy Spirit comforts who judges us when we do sin this is our conscience 
It judges us. Sometimes it judges us so much that a thought comes from devil. You are, that's it, you are shameful. Go throw yourself off a bridge. Go drink some poison. Holy Spirit says, do not do this, do not do this. Righteous will fall ten times, but will get right back up. You are righteous, you are mine, you are my child. You have fallen, but you can get back up. You just need to repent. Since our time has come to a conclusion, we will bow our heads, or whoever can, their knees, we will thank God for that word that we had today. Amen. May the Lord bless us. <coughs> Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for your holy name, for that word that you have unveiled to us today, the price that we must pay so that we could have the right to give you praise in our thanksgiving, to honor you and to come to your throne, the throne of grace. We thank you for this privilege to enter into your presence and having this privilege we, you have justified us and being justified and creating righteousness in which we have died for our nation, our household and our corrupt desires after this we can dedicate ourselves so that we can bring you praise of our lips because only this is pleasing to you you're waiting for the sacrifice that will be made out of the praise of a tongue that will praise your name this is our thanksgiving to you but for this it is necessary to pay the price and for a person, this is a high price because he is never supposed to be focused on his nation, his household, and his corrupt desires. You must look at his, his heart, which contain the 12 teachings of your son, Jesus Christ. May your mercy be blessed in the hearts of your nation because only those people who have in their hearts the truth of the meme unveiling and they unveil the truth of Urim, they, you, direct your mercy. Mercy for only those people who see themselves in the light of your Urim and Thumim, who begin to show your grace. You do not listen to sinners, but one who repents in his sins, who does create judge righteousness, you listen to them. Because people who repent of their sins, you justify them. And may the magnitude of your name be blessed. Many perish because they do not understand when to depart from sin and when to confront evil. And when they begin to confront evil, not on that territory for which they carry responsibility over, then calamity falls upon them, just as King Hosea had endured when he went against Pharaoh. Many saints die because they begin to withstand on the territory for which they do not carry responsibility. They go against people for whom they do not answer. Teach us, Lord, more and more to fulfill your will so that we receive the right to bring you a sacrifice of praise. 
May your mercy be blessed so that we in all fullness could acknowledge the power of this great property and this virtue, this right to praise you and to bring you praise. We bow down before you in this place, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the devil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the power forever. Amen. And now, let us all together proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.